We are a society addicted to our cell phones. Take a look around the streets of New York City, and chances are the majority of people around you will be staring down at their palms, checking emails or texting with friends or family. But when we spend so much time staring at that glowing screen in our palms, we're missing out on all that's around us, including some pretty magnificent gardens and wildlife you may be surprised to see in a city like New York. You never know when a bald eagle's passing right over your head. That's naturalist and birdwatcher Debbie Becker. I'm George Podarki, and this is Cityscape. We'll check back in with Debbie later in the show to learn more about the different species of birds you can catch a glimpse of in the concrete jungle. But first, let's keep our eyes on the ground instead of in the sky. You don't need to look very far to stumble on a bit of beauty in New York City. Just ask Betsy Pinover Schiff. She's been photographing urban plantings and chronicling the greening of New York City for more than two decades. In her latest book, Betsy captures unexpected greenery that can be enjoyed strolling along the city's sidewalks. The book is called Sidewalk Gardens of New York. I recently caught up with Betsy to talk about it. What inspired you to chronicle New York City's greening? Well, I began walking the city in the springtime. Uh, which is what I love to do. And going up to the Metropolitan Museum, I observed so many wonderful plantings, baskets on lampposts and gardens along the way and all of the new tree beds, which are along the, uh, the curbs of the streets. And, and I began to think, this is all new, I mean, there's so much of it. And the same thing happened going down to walking down to MoMA or walking down to 42nd Street. The median that we all know on Upper Park Avenue with the cherry blossoms and the tulips, well, we all know that one. But then walking down Park Avenue, I noticed there was also a beautiful median. And when I was down on Houston Street, I noticed there was another wonderful median. And I began to just take it all in and think about how much New York had changed. And and it began to feel also like a friendlier city and as well as a more attractive one. New York was a very different city in the 70s and 80s, no question about that. People were likely stealing potted plants, I would imagine, at that time. Exactly. I remember... Uh, Bryant Park being a drug-infested uh, place, and and look at how it's blossomed now with these wonderful pots overflowing with plants and the Bryant Park Grill and nonstop events for the public going day and night. Yes, it's changed enormously. I understand it wasn't an easy journey for you to get a book published about the greening of New York City. Publishers weren't so much interested in it many years ago. No, they weren't. It it was indeed very difficult. Um, I went to several publishers with the idea, and they um, all basically said the same thing. Uh, New Yorkers do not come for gardens. Uh, They come for restaurants. They come for skyscrapers. They come for theater, but sorry, they don't come for gardens. But of course, there are many gardens here. You photographed, I would imagine, Hundreds of them, if not more. Yes, I've photographed hundreds of them, from rooftops to sidewalks. What are among the more unique gardens that you've photographed? Well, some of the the unique ones, let's see, unique, are those that can't be seen 
by anybody except those who work in high office buildings. For example, the Rockefeller rooftop gardens or the garden on top of the Museum of Modern Art. Nobody who goes to the Museum of Modern Art can see that garden. Um, You can only see it from uh, windows in the surrounding offices, for example. So that's quite unique. But now there are all kinds of gardens you can see, I think, on the sidewalks, from the sidewalks that are unique. Um, if one takes a look on the west side at the 96th Street subway entrance, how, how wonderful to have a subway entrance that's been beautified um, and, and that makes the entrance to a subway just feel so welcoming. Unique gardens. Oh my goodness, there are so many. Maybe I should just tell you a few of my favorites. Please do. (laughs) Well, one is the Greenacre Park, which is on 51st Street. It has a 25-foot high cascading waterfall, and you can go in and have coffee on any of three levels. Um, And if you sit on the bottom level, you can feel like you're in Yosemite Park with this cascading waterfall eight feet in front of you. I think what's, what's important here is not that I'm, this is the first book that it's been in because I shot it from, for my others, but Whatever I shot in this book, such as Greenacre, was shot from the sidewalk. So that the conservatory garden in um, Central Park was shot from behind the grand wrought iron entry gate. And one looks through to the conservatory garden and the great Italianate yard. So one sees everything, Central Park even, from the sidewalk. You don't enter the garden, but rather you get the sidewalk view. And that's the beauty of this book, Sidewalk Gardens of New York. You can simply stumble on these as you're making your way to the office. Right, right. And see things of beauty without actually going in. I'm curious how you went about photographing these gardens and choosing the locations. Well, um... It it wasn't terribly planned. Um, I explored everywhere in Manhattan on foot. I would set off early with a plan to walk in some area that I had never seen before, maybe some new section of the High Line or by Columbia University or in Harlem or, or even South Bronx. I would wander with no map. I would just pick an area and let my eyes do the deciding. Do you remember a specific time where you were like, wow, I had no idea, but what beauty I just stumbled upon? Oh my goodness, that happened so often. <laughs> what, I, what I think is important for the public to know is that exploring New York in this way was as exciting as going to a foreign country. And I didn't have to go far to feel that. Whether I was in Williamsburg or whether I was in some part of Bronx or outer Queens, uh, there was an exhilaration I felt and a newness to what I saw. And that's what I hope the Sidewalks of New York brings to its readers and to the public that experiences this. There are a great number of people in New York City, a great number of characters in New York City. Any stories that you can share with us about people you met along the way while you were out there photographing? 
Well, I, I have many, fo many um, experiences that have to do, that are really adventures, that, that have to do with gardens in my prior books. I could tell you one that's, that's sort of fun. I, was, I did a book on um, Central Park, the landscape of Central Park seen from apartments above. And in this one case, because most of the apartments that I went to were by referral. And somebody said, oh, why don't you go upstairs? I'll give a neighbor of mine a ring and, I, and, and see if he'll let you in. And because he's got a great view on a different level. And so I went up several floors and met this man who greeted me in his loungewear and said, oh, yes, well, why don't you come in and photograph um, in my bedroom? And I went in and I opened my tripod as I do and looked out this huge picture window. And then I turned around and there he was on his bed watching me. And he said to me, now you won't tell my wife about this, will you? And he's a very well-known lawyer, by the way. And I got so uncomfortable <laughs> that I just packed up my things and as quickly as I could and departed. But I should tell you that photographing from people's apartments, for the most part, was an extraordinary hospitable experience. New Yorkers were so proud of their views and so proud of their gardens. And what I learned photographing the sidewalks of New York was equally the case. People are so proud of their gardens, whether it's a park that they're working in or whether it's the little tree bed in front of their home. People love digging in the ground in New York City and they get great satisfaction from the color, the textures that they're creating and the beauty that they're helping to create for the city. Did you take time to observe how people absorbed these gardens themselves, how they interacted with them, how they simply used them to decompress, if you will, in great big frenetic New York City? Well, I noticed that particularly in the pocket parks and of course in the larger parks and in the community gardens. Uh, the community gardens, especially on Saturdays, are a, a real mecca for neighbors to gather, to have parties. And I talked to a number of people, whether they were people who were planting or whether they were people who were just enjoying their gardens and had that kind of interaction. And in the pocket parks, I just was uh, observing how much these new park at parks, the benches, the new lighting, and so much is utilized in the city today as a place of respite and as a place of just enjoyment. We've had, no doubt, a lot of champions of greening New York City, Bette Midler, one of them, and her yes. organization, the New York Restoration Project. And many others. There are many new garden conservancies that, in a way, have modeled themselves on the Central Park Conservancy. They're public-private partnerships or, or where the, the private sector is uh, committing money and committing resources of all kinds. You have the Highline Conservancy and you have, um, oh my goodness, there are, there are so many of them now. You have the Brooklyn Bridge Park Conservancy. Um, yeah. You mentioned that some of the gardens that you've photographed over the years 
aren't visible from the street. And some of them, of course, are inaccessible to the public. Have you had any challenges over the years accessing parks? Any stories related to that? Many, many, (laughs) many difficulties getting access. One of them, which is perhaps my most memorable, was um, back in the 90s, Uh, perhaps a year after the bombing of Oklahoma City, the Federal Plaza at Oklahoma City. I went down to Federal Plaza here in New York because I had heard that it had a wonderful garden that had been designed by somebody named Martha Schwartz. And I went down there very early, perhaps 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, by subway looking for this garden, and I couldn't find it. And I went on all sides of this enormous block, and I asked security guards where the garden was, and they had no idea. And finally, um, when people began to enter the, the huge building, I said to myself, oh my goodness, I'm standing in the middle of it because it was so modern, and it was all green, but but one really didn't see what one called traditionally a garden. And I opened my tripod and felt hands on my back and two security guards asking me very seriously for a permit. Well, I didn't have one. And they said immediately to close my tripod, I went up and down, the elevator of that building, opening up each and every canister of film, showing it to the security guards, every piece of equipment that I had, going up and finally getting a permit. And it was challenging, and I finally was able to photograph down there. But what a challenge to do it. Right. That's a post-9-11 rule. You have to have a permit if you're using a tripod to take photographs. In many, in many places, not all. But certainly, for example, in, in, um, down at Battery Park City, you need to get a permit. Or in Bryant Park, you need to have a permit if you are photographing professionally. You've also put out a book about country gardens. How drastically different are country gardens from urban gardens? I've done a lot of country photography, and in some ways it's not that different because, as a photo- for me at least, uh, for me as a photographer, um, I'm just as dependent upon the weather and the light. And I'm wanting a focus, which I want wherever I am. And in the city, it might be the fountain, um, or it might be a statue in the country. It may be the focus is, are the beds around a swimming pool, or the, the beds around the tennis court, or the, the grand terrace that somebody may have. Um, but there are a number of differences, because in the city... Here we're in the most populated city in the world, or certainly in America, not in the world, but in America, and you've got people who are coming into your photographs all the time, so that's, of course, a consideration. And then you have shadows that are cast by skyscrapers, and sometimes, unbeknownst to you, a huge shadow suddenly appears in your photograph. Um, And then you have, of course, what we mentioned before, the problem of getting permits or whatever the permissions are to shoot for permit for professional purposes so so there are those kinds of differences and they're often substantial you have the bag lady who simply won't move the lunch muncher who's enjoying their lunch i mean that's new york for you betsy thanks so much
Thank you so much for inviting me. Betsy Pinover Schiff is a veteran photographer. Her latest book is Sidewalk Gardens of New York. It's out now from the Monticelli Press. No doubt you'll see pigeons on any walk around New York City, but pigeons are far from the only birds to be seen in the Big Apple. Next on Cityscape, we visit Madison Square Park, a seven-acre urban oasis in Manhattan, to meet up with a woman who knows a whole lot about our fine feathered friends. Hi, my name is Debbie Becker, and I'm a bird watcher. I am the bird tour leader for the New York Botanical Garden. I maintain a birding website called birdingaroundnewyorkcity.com. And um, I've been leading tours over 30 years for New York Audubon, for myself, and for the New York Botanical Garden. So what inspired your interest in birds? Uh, my family was very nature-based, very science-based, and... Uh, They instilled in me a very good knowledge of uh, the environment, especially marine biology. Later on in life, I began to notice birds because they were wild. And I was thinking to myself, what are these things flying around? Did they escape from a zoo? Because I was just used to looking in tidal pools of my marine uh, locations, water-based locations. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx. So I was always interested in, in the natural surroundings, like in Pelham Bay Park, in Orchard Beach, City Island. And then um, I started to notice birds. And I said, wow, these guys are wild. And at first I thought they had escaped from the zoo. And I got myself um, a little book, a small little book by Roger Tory Peterson. And I got myself a very inexpensive pair of binoculars. And I started bird watching. I didn't know really what it was, but I was looking at birds and checking them off in my book. And this was the 1980s when not many people were into birds or bird watching. But some environmental movements, grassroots movements had begun. And I was actually an editor for a grassroots organization back then called the Bronx Council for Environmental Science. So I became more and more interested in in Bronx-based birds, Westchester-based birds. And it was a hobby that really grew into a passion for me. Well, here we are today at Madison Square Park in Manhattan, and I see pigeons. But there are more birds to be seen in New York City than pigeons, right? That's correct. Birds migrate twice a year, in the fall and in the spring. Those two migrations will bring through the New York area more than 200 birds at a time, and in large, large quantities. Right now, the fall migration is coming up, and you're going to have broad-winged hawks that migrate through this area in the thousands. And sometimes you can see up to 15,000 hawks in one day. You see eagles and you see um, osprey, which are now nesting here too. Red-tailed hawks, cooper's hawks, or falcons, they all pass through along with warblers and perching birds as well. So you get that in the fall and in the spring, the big deal are the warblers. So basically if you look around and you see the sparrows and you see starlings and you see pigeons, Those are very common birds that were introduced to the New York area by the settlers when they first came here in the colonial times. They wanted um, New York to be more like England, so they brought over starlings and the house sparrow, which have become really... um, Native, if you will. They're now native New Yorkers. (laughs) They're native, but they're really not... (laughs) Well, that's what I mean, but, you know, by Ed Koch's standards, they're native, right? They've been here longer than 10 years. Yeah, that's true, but they're... Not really welcome natives because they dry out. They drive out the real true natives, like the eastern bluebird, is our is our state bird. But you don't see any in the parks here because the starlings have 
move, push them out of the holes they drill in, uh, you know, trees to, to nest, or if there's any kind of nesting area, starlings are extremely aggressive. They'll, they'll push anybody out. So what are among the native birds here in New York City that are still plentiful? We have um, cardinals, the northern cardinal. We have blue jays. We have morning doves. We have uh, a lot of migrating birds, the red-winged blackbird, the grackles, rusty blackbirds. They migrate, but some of those birds, and the American robin, can't leave that out, have been staying around more and more. Like the American robin is evolution and process. You could actually look at the robin's history for the past 20 years and see evolution right in front of you. They have adapted to the global warming climate that we have now. So instead of migrating back and forth to Florida or southern states and coming to New York in the spring, they are here full force during our winter now. And they've adapted from running on the, on the ground eating worms to going up in trees and eating nuts and berries. That is adaptation. That is evolution. Talking about adaptation, we have parakeets in New York City, monk parakeets, or the New York City parrots, some people call them. Those actually were escapees, and they um, were in JFK, and they escaped from whatever they were trans- wherever they were transporting them to. They were probably captive birds from another place, which unfortunately happens. And um, they have really adapted to some areas of New York. I know that they're big in the Bronx and, and Queens. There's large populations of them. And they like to nest where there's heat and lights. So if you have baseball fields, you see them nesting around the lights in the baseball fields. What are among the biggest threats to birds in New York City? Two words. Habitat destruction. Who or what is destroying the habitat? We are. People. Every time you see a... a a lot, what you would call like a junk lot, go down and the building go up. Believe it or not, that's habitat destruction. Every time somebody fills in a swamp or a marshland, which are the most valuable piece of property we have here, ecosystem-wise, that's destruction of a habitat. And even when you take a, a parkland and you mow it down just for grass and you don't leave shrubbery, that's destruction of habitat. Because birds need shrubbery to hide, to feed, to build nests and reproduce. Where in New York City are the best places to go birding? The New York Botanical Garden has the best birds in town. Um, They have diverse habitats. They have streams. They have ponds. They have lakes. The Bronx River could look like the Colorado River sometimes after it rains. They have meadows, they have uh, forests, the Thane family forest, rock garden, swale. There's so many areas that are different from each other, and their ecosystems backed up to each other at the garden, that you can find a wading bird, a shorebird, in one place and turn around and find a hawk right, right to the other side of you. It's just amazing. Other areas include Pelham Bay Park for owls, although the Botanical Garden has been having many owls lately. Um, Pelham Bay Park is a rocky area. Some of the rocks there are glacial, and they have a lot of ducks and um, a lot of sea fowl. You could get a lot of shorebirds out there and a lot of owls. That's really what that area. Central Park during the migration, during spring, is excellent. I mean, everybody goes to Central Park for the first two or three weeks in in May. That's uh, a birding paradise.
Might we ever be surprised in a park like this, Madison Square Park, by a bird that flies through? Definitely. Even though we don't see one, it's probably a red-tailed hawk hanging out in a tree right now. And on the lawn in front of us, we see lots of activity um, with the sparrows. You can see, uh, I've seen grasshopper sparrows here, which are uncommon. And we can, Grasshopper sparrows? It's a, sh- it's a tiny sparrow, and it has no neck. It looks like it has no neck. It's very colorful. I've actually spotted one in the area we're standing. We get white-crowned sparrows, Lincoln sparrows. Sparrow season is coming up. They're my favorite birds. Why are they your favorite birds? Uh, because they only come around once a year. You get one shot at identifying them, photo- for, for to- photographing them, and for a photographer, it's a big chase. You get like two, three prime weeks between September and October, and then um, if you don't get, the- get them then, you have to wait till the following year. What would you say has been your most exciting time out there birding, where you were completely surprised, wow, I can't believe I'm seeing this bird? There's been many incidences, but I have to say last spring at the New York Botanical Garden, we had warblers galore on one of the bridges, uh, the Hester Street Bridge that's featured in Sesame Street. They were everywhere, and they were actually, warblers are usually above eye level, like way above where you get what's warbler's neck from looking back so much. These guys were actually below eye level. So we were on top of the bridge looking down, and our hearts were palpitating. They were everywhere. Everyone got great, you know, photographs. It was really a, a wonderful experience. Other times have been finding owls. At the Botanical Garden, we have a nesting pair of owls. And um, they've gone through an evolution of families. Like, a, they could be a dynasty saga. And through my years of birding at the garden, there's been, you know, a set, and then they die, and then another set have arrived. And so seeing them has always been really um, wonderful. And then um, a couple of years back, we had a Couch's Kingbird show up in the West Village of all places. And that's a tropical bird that, you know, hails from Texas or, you know, like um, the Guatemala area and probably got blown up here in a storm. And he was hawking insects way into October and November in, in, uh, on Jane Street. Is there a particular bird that you are on the hunt for you have not yet seen, but you are keeping your eyes peeled? Um, as a photographer, I, I'm very interested in photographing a Vesper Sparrow. I've seen them, but I have not gotten a good shot of one. And on my website, birdingaroundnewyorkcity.com, I'm trying to actually photograph all the birds in the New York City area. And as I said, those sparrows come around just once a year. And this has been <laughs> my little pain. I can't seem to get a shot of a Vesper. I see them flying away, but I never get a good shot. So tell me about your website. You have, obviously, photographs of birds, but I would imagine some information there as well. Yes, um, I've always been interested in photojournalism, so I've turned my website into a photojournalistic spot for people who are beginning bird watching, for people who have advanced bird watchers, for people who want to see what's in the area. Um, I get a lot of people who um, contact me from other countries who are coming to the New York area and wanted to go on a bird walk with me or come to the Botanical Garden, and um, they want to know what they're going to see. So I keep a a, a birding digest uh, for the past couple of years, what you could see each month in the New York City area. I also have my birds categorized by species, 
so they can actually take a look in what species are in the area. And I have it also categorized by migration. So if you're interested, let's say, in the fall migration from last year, it will be a good idea to take a look and see what's going to be coming this year because we usually get the same type of birds coming through, but you don't always get to see them. So you know what you can be on the lookout for. Sometimes people in a park like this will throw breadcrumbs out there to feed the birds. Is that a good idea, a bad idea? You know, that's kind of a controversial subject about what to throw out to feed the birds. I find that sunflower seeds, which contain protein and are a natural type of substance most birds would be eating, are the best things. If you're going to feed the birds, feed them sunflower seeds, some kind of seed peanut butter. Even if you have peanut butter and you just take peanut butter and put it on a pine cone and set it out, the birds will actually take it right off the pine cone. I would think that bread is an empty filler. You would never feed birds rice because rice can expand in their stomachs and cause them distress and maybe even kill them. So, yeah, I would say birdseed. I mean, you could buy birdseed in a store and just you could throw it out of sunflower seeds. All right, Debbie, anything about birding that we didn't talk about that you would want to add? I would tell most people, instead of looking at your iPhone and texting, look up. Okay, You never know when a bald eagle's passing right over your head. Um, we're interviewing right now on 23rd Street. Just two days ago, I saw a bald eagle fly from 23rd to 24th Street. There are peregrine falcons. There are American kestrels nesting in the area, red-tailed hawks. And look down. I mean, besides the pigeons, you never know what you might find. Good advice, Debbie. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Debbie Becker is a naturalist and a bird watcher right here in New York City. Once again, her website is birdingaroundnyc.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. Thanks so much for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here. <laughs>